Alzheimer's Speaks. I am your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm a daughter of a mother who lived with dementia for 30 years. So I, I get the frustration, the exhaustion, the guilt, um, and everything that can come wrapped in dementia, but I have also been able to go to the other side. And that other side is a path of joy and purpose and passion and just a really a, a connection on a much deeper level than that I ever realized that, that I could have with another human being, almost a, a spiritual experience. For those of you that are new to us, um, Alzheimer's Speaks really is inclusive of all different types of dementia. And our goal is just to shift caregiving from crisis to comfort all around the world by people sharing their stories. So everyone is welcome here. Um, if you are diagnosed or maybe you're just having symptoms and, and wondering about it, uh, maybe your family member, a friend, a uh, business professional, a, an author, a singer, a songwriter, a researcher, an advocate. Um, you're all welcome to share your story. So just reach out to me. I would love to hear yours. We also like to help businesses expand their brand footprint by sharing their information on all of our all of our websites and blogs and social media because you know. When my mom was first diagnosed, that was 35 years ago. We didn't have a clue where to go. We didn't know anything about Alzheimer's or dementia, and we weren't even given a phone number to the Alzheimer's Association. And you might think that sounds strange, but it's still happening today. And so that's really why I switched careers and created this. And Alzheimer's Speaks has gotten much larger than I would have ever imagined. And that's because of you, your likes, your clicks, your shares, um, your collaboration um, to, to push this information out, to make people feel safe and comfortable, to have a conversation has been huge. So I can't thank you each enough. And just know that those, those few seconds you take to like and click and share and subscribe, they all make a difference. They make a huge, huge difference. Now, before I introduce our guest today, I'm going to give a shout out to a few organizations that I just adore. Um, one is Stall Catchers, and Stall Catchers is actually something you can all participate in. It is a video game where you can actually help analyze real Alzheimer's data and help push research forward. So check out stallcatchers.com to learn more information. If you're six to 96, everybody can play and everyone is welcome. So uh, check them out. If you're interested in taking a dementia-friendly cruise, go to allscruisetropics.com. That's A-L-Z cruisetropics.com. A good friend and colleague of mine, Lisa Marie Chiquero, is, is doing her second annual cruise this coming March. And I highly recommend it. You know, I did one a couple years ago and it was, we had a fabulous time, but I just haven't found it in my schedule to be able to do it. And I know you'll have a great time and be well cared for with Lisa. 
Last, I want to give a shout out to the Memory Cafes, which is a peer support group for people with early to mid dementia and their care partners. There are now, I'm so excited to say, over 800 of them in the U.S. And that was a gift given to us um, from overseas. You know, they just said, build them and they will come. And it's been really exciting to see how much they've expanded through the U.S. And then I do want to mention that I'm going to be out in Massachusetts um, next week, November 13th and 15th, with Artist Senior Living in Reading in Lexington, Massachusetts. So if you're in the area, stop by and see me. I would love to, uh, to meet you. I'll also be in Alabama November 20th through the 23rd with Alabama Cares. Um, that's East Alabama Area on Aging. And it's always nice to, to get to know uh, some of my listeners and followers. Uh, I learned so much from you. And all of those will be having some free resources for you. So let's get to our topic today. We are going to be talking about digital dementia. And we have Dr. Krista Burns with us, who is not only a doctor, but an author and a speaker. She is the founder of the American Posture Institute and the author of the textbook, The Posture Principles. And she's also a TEDx speaker. Um, she has been leading the charge against digital dementia, which I was able to be part of uh, the summit that she did. And it was fascinating to me. At first, I wasn't sure that I could really contribute. And, and, but I think it's something all of us at all ages need to understand what the effects of digital age has upon us. She has been featured, Fox News and Global Women's Magazine are just some of the media she's been on. And so I'm just really thrilled to have you, have you with us today, Krista. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Laurie, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's wonderful con to connect with you and your community. I've been looking forward to this for a long time now. So thank you for the opportunity of being here. I, um, I always ask everybody who's a guest on my show, first, if they've been personally touched by any form of dementia within their own circle of, of friends or family. Yes, I have with my great-grandmother, actually. And when I look back on my memories of my great-grandmother, Josephine, she was, to me, just the most beautiful. She was a socialite in our town, and she was just the most, I have the most beautiful memories of her. I can still remember her perfume that she wore, her long fur coat that she would wear. She just was the personification of elegance in my mind. And later in life, she was, you know, she was suffering from dementia. And what she didn't know and which I think now, um, looking down, she would love hearing this memory, is that she grew up in Italy, and then she moved over to the United States. And actually, her telling me about her experience in Italy made me want to move to Italy when I graduated school. So I actually owned a practice over in Italy for about seven years, and it was because of my grandma, Jo, that I was inspired to go over there. And so she had such an impact on my life. And then watching her, you know, she went through dementia as well later in life. And so I've been, you know, directly, not directly impacted by it, but having a family member who I just adored being impacted. Oh, what a great story. And I'm sure she's listening down and, and smiling at you right now. That's, that's very cool. What attracted you to kind of the world of digital dementia? Until I met you, I, I didn't even know that was a term. 
Yeah, you know what? It came to me. So just like all of us, we're on a journey. And my traditional training is in posture. I owned a postural correction clinic over Natalie. And what I started to notice in the digital age is structural decline in the digital age. So what we were seeing is that everybody now has one of these, a, a smartphone that they're carrying around in their pockets. And from a specifically structural perspective, we were seeing people hunched over their devices in this position. And it was everywhere. I mean, you go to the airport and people are waiting for a plane and they're just hunched over their device in their own world with their devices. Or if you look around a corporation or a bank where people are working with computers, they're hunched over their devices in these positions. And so structurally, from a postural perspective, I started to take notice of this and it was called TechNet. But then once I started doing further research, we started understanding how the tech neck position, the posture of the body, was not just impacting from a physical perspective, so not just musculoskeletal like headaches and neck pain or tightness in the shoulders, those were happening too, but also how it was impacting brain function. And so we were able to make the connection between tech neck posture, the overstimulation from devices, being too sedentary, having poor lifestyle habits, and how this was now leading to a new, new signs of digital dementia. So that's how it came about. And so it came from being on a journey from seeing the physical decline and then seeing how that was impacting our patients from a neurologic perspective. Well, you know, when we talked about it initially, I said, well, give me a couple of days and just let me, yeah. let me see. And I was like, I was shocked. I mean, because we don't slow down to look at that impact. And I am, I'm always hanging over my computer on my phone and, you know, and I'm sitting way more than I have ever been. And, um, and then I, I looked at my, my daughter and her husband. I looked at my grandchildren who, you know, they're on their little Kindles or they're watching a video on the phone. And I was, I, I was just so shocked at the impact. And then when, you know, I learned some of the statistics of the harm that's being done and and that none of us really realize, um, then it really, it really shook me, shook me loose. So who, who all needs to be aware of digital dementia? You know, with digital dementia, it's essentially impacting children of the new generation up through adulthood. So my generation, for example, I grew up before the internet. So we were outside playing during you know, the afternoons and we spent a lot less time being seated and we weren't in front of our devices nearly as much. But now the new generations are being born into the digital age where from the time that they're infants, they're being exposed to technology. So parents raising children in the digital age really need to know about digital dementia. Also ourselves, right? Like you just mentioned, we don't realize how now we spend more time seated, more time in front of our devices, and hours and hours can go by and we haven't gotten up. We've been in front of our devices getting artificial stimulation. Instead of being up and moving around and experiencing sensation from our world, we're getting it all from a device. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go back 50 years before the internet and get rid of all of our devices. But what I am saying is that we need to bring this conversation to the forefront because this will continue to impact all families moving forward from this point. This is information that we can't unknow, right? We're starting to already see signs and symptoms in this generation that are different than previous. And so we have to have the conversation now so that we can start having more healthy relationships associated with technology to prevent this from getting worse. 
I mean, we look up the definition of dementia on the Alzheimer's Association, and we see that Alzheimer's is, you know, multiple different symptoms that are categorized together, impacting memory, brain function, ability of performing daily activities. And what's really frightening about this is if we compare this to somebody, to a child even, who spent a couple hours on their devices, they actually have changes in their behavior associated with device use. They're outsourcing their brain to their devices. We no longer remember things like we used to do because we have our devices to just remember it for us. And so we're seeing these changes in brain function very specific to the digital age. And my concern is that if we don't have the conversation now and start developing healthier tech habits as families, as employees, if you work with your computer, then this could lead to more dramatic onsets of, of dementia progressing at earlier ages and or being worse in the future. So everybody needs to know about it now, especially if you're raising a child in the digital age because they will go through the entire course of their life with digital technology at their fingertips. For myself, you know, I'm 60. And so the joke is in my generation that you know, we don't remember anybody's phone number. You know, when we were younger, we remembered hundreds of phone numbers of our friends. And, you know, we remembered addresses. We, it, it, none of us do that. Now it's like, oh, let me get my phone. Let me get my computer. And so I think, you know, we appreciate having that as backup, but you know, we look at that and go, how come we can't anymore? And part of it is we just don't feel the need to do that. And so it, it's kind of scary, you know, and we get such a panic when we lose our phone or if it's not functioning or, yes. it, you know, we joke, it's my life. And we really have turned it into that in a, in a lot of, lot of fashions. Let's talk about some, some examples of digital dementia and how it can really mimic dementia. Yeah, you know, one of the best examples is GPS. I mean, you remember the world before GPS, right? How did we used to find places? We would call the location, let's say we were going to, I don't know, like a local bookstore. We would call the bookstore, they would explain how to get there, we would write down directions, we would look on a map, and while we were driving to that store, we were very consciously aware of where we were in relation to our environment. So we would have written instructions, we would process that with our navigation skills, we would pay attention to where we were driving, and then we would take in all of this sensory information while we were driving to that bookstore. And then we would remember it next time because we had an experience with it, because we processed that information. Now what we do is we just look up the address on the, on the internet, we plug it into our GPS, and it's a very mindless experience getting there. Whereas we used to have a map that said, okay, at the second, stop, the second stoplight, turn right, then look for Starbucks on your left and go right past that and then take the next left after that. So we were so aware and perceptive of everything around us. Now we just allow the GPS to do the thought process for us. We get in our car, we're completely just hunched over in our device, um, hunched over in our cars in this position. The device tells us how to get there we arrive and we couldn't even find our way home if we had to. So if we lost battery in our phone, we wouldn't be able to get back home. So now imagine this as being a problem with a, a standard digital, dementia, excuse me, dementia patient where they go out for a drive and they have a destination in mind, but then they get lost in the process and suddenly they can't find their way home. The same is happening with digital dementia. 
where we have outsourced our thought process to the point where we're getting lost in the world. We've, we've lost our navigation skills. Another example is those phone numbers. In an emergency situation, can you actually call your emergency contact or is that only stored in your phone? What if your phone dies or you're out of service you know, on the side of the road? Can you actually recall that number in order to call somebody for help? So it's to the point where we've lost our survival skills, we've outsourced those to our brains, such as navigation, such as remembering phone numbers, such as remembering addresses. And now it's to the point where at early on, you know, early onset, early ages, we're having these mimicking symptoms that we would have normally associated with symptoms happening later in life associated with cognitive decline. So those are a couple of examples of digital dementia. When you mentioned the, the maps, I had to laugh because I literally got out of my car and I used to be a real estate agent for 25 years. So I had okay. map books yes. and I've been doing this for 10 and I still have this big, thick map book stuck in the pocket of my door. And I, you know, every time I go in and out, I think oh, I should just toss it. And it's like, I better not just because what if my battery dies? What if, because we have these things talking at us and we have this, we've developed this trust we trust the, the technology more than we trust ourselves. You know, I, I know my brother talks about, I, you know, being in Nevada and being led to the desert. And there's like nothing is out here and it's getting dark. And, yeah. you know, he's stuck out there in the desert. And he's like, apparently it happens to a lot of people for certain right. destinations and stuff. And I know I've taking a wrong turn here or there. And then it's like recalculating, recalculating right. <laughs> you know, to get me where I need to go. But you're right. I, I, a lot of times wouldn't have a clue, you know, and, and then I wonder too about though we're behind the wheel and we're driving, you know, and with some cars now that's, we don't even have to do that. Right. <laughs> um, how much are we really paying attention if somebody runs into the street you know, I mean, and people kind of joke about, well, my car just kind of went and pilot to this place because I go all the time. And, and I know I've said that too, but I've also sat back and go, that's really scary. Yes. That's really scary that I'm not paying attention um, yeah. and nobody got, got harmed or the emergency contacts. I travel a lot. And so I actually in my little travel folder, I have a list of emergency contacts because I wouldn't know how to get a hold of anybody because right. I don't know anybody's phone number. Yeah. You know, it's bizarre really when you think about it. It is. And now, I mean, imagine, you know, you have a loved one who's suffering from dementia and they go out for a drive. They suddenly can't find their way home and they can't remember how to call you, right? They can't call their emergency contact. For us, that, that's a situation that worries us, that makes us think, you know, that it, it impacts our independence. And yet, if we think about ourselves, it's also impacting our independence. If we were in the same situation, we too would struggle to handle it. And that's because, I mean, the digital age has provided so many opportunities. I mean, our ability of speaking right now, for example, we're connected via digital technology and we're grateful for that. The ability of finding information online is, you know, so helpful for finding resources. But at the same time, we have to recognize that we can't outsource everything we do to our devices or we'll completely lose our survival skills as a human, as human species. And we'll talk more about how this is impacting children's brains. And if they don't have healthier relationships now, they're going to continue to see that decline. 
again, we've never seen this in previous generations. So we don't even know how bad this will be later in life for them. Yeah. Well, I think of two, even like, you know, and I've done this myself, you know, my groceries can be delivered. I can submit it online. It'll just come all the things that I don't have to do. I can talk to my television versus getting up and well, you don't even turn the channel anymore. <laughs> you know, We don't have the wrong buttons anymore. But I mean, there's just so many, many different things. Now, there are some signs of tech fatigue, too, that I'd like you to touch base on that. I believe there's like three different signs that we should all be aware of. Yeah. And the reason we should be aware of these signs is that the National Institute of Health just released a research study in 2019. So we're talking this year. This is how brand new it is. They're doing a decade-long research project, and they're following children in the digital age. And what they've found is that when children use devices for more than seven hours per day, they're actually showing um, shrinking of the brain, shrinking of the cortex, which is for our thought processes and cognition. And what they also found is that when they use them even more than two hours per day, then they're seeing a decline in their scores with GPA, with learning, reading, and writing, okay? And so what we're seeing is that we know that this is happening. And then if we use devices for 7.5 hours, that's the average that children are using devices these days. So what concerns me is that we are going down the path of cognitive decline from an early age. And so how we can recognize this so that we can start creating healthier habits is by looking for signs of tech fatigue. And tech fatigue is a precursor to digital dementia. So whereas digital dementia is more expressive symptoms of forgetfulness and poor memory recall associated with overstimulation from technology, tech fatigue is a precursor. So it's, it's where we can stay within those safer limits and see those or that early onset. So tech fatigue, what we want to look for, number one is physical decline. So I talked to you earlier about tech neck posture. So for all of our moms and dads who are watching today, I want you, I want to give you a homework assignment. I want you to check your family and see if they have this posture without telling them that you're doing it. Just be observant, be a detective after our conversation today. So the next time you see somebody in your family, whether it's your spouse or whether it's your children, grab their device. I want you to see how they position their bodies. So while holding their device, are they completely hunched over in this position? And if they are, it's called tech neck posture. And we want to take note of that because that's the first sign of tech fatigue. Now, the second sign of tech fatigue is using devices for more than two hours per day for recreational use. So recognizing that your children may need their devices for schoolwork because they're looking up information for a report, right? So they're actively engaging in educational content. Or maybe for work, you need to use your device for, you know, writing a book, for example. So you're using your brain during that, during that content creation process. But for recreational use, using device more than two hours per day. Okay, that's the second sign of tech fatigue. And then the third sign is behavioral changes associated with device use. So what this can look like is a couple of different examples. Number one, if you went to work today and you left your phone at home, how would you feel? Would you feel really stressed out? Would you feel like signs of withdrawal? Like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make it through the day? I don't have my phone with me. That would be an example of a behavioral change associated with your device. Or maybe with your children, if you ask them to get off their devices to come to the dinner table, for example, are they really hesitant? You know, do they, do they really um, fight back because they want to stay on their devices? So if you see behavioral changes associated with device use that are similar to addiction, similar to addictive personality traits, then this can be an indication of tech fatigue. 
So again, those three signs that we wanna look for is technic posture, which is the physical component. We wanna look for more than two hours per day for recreational use that's associated with overstimulation. And number three is behavioral changes. Is it impacting their behavior because they're reliant upon their devices? Again, think about an addict, whether it's with sugar or whether it's with the device. You know, are we reliant upon those, upon those devices? And do we actually change our behavior when we can't have our devices? So those are the three signs of tech fatigue that we wanna be looking for. You know, those three signs, you know, when I looked at myself and my family, like I said, it was shocking because we all, we all have the tech neck. Every single one of us took from my five-year-old granddaughter up to myself, the more than two hours, I know I'm on my device. I know my kids are on their device. Um, The grandkids, you know, they like to be on their device and um and then those behavioral changes and what slapped me in the face and this was it was kind of cute and the timing was <laughs> impeccable because it was when i was like viewing this for my myself and my family for your digital dementia summit was my two granddaughters were going to put on a little performance for me and i was yeah. sitting on the couch with my with my phone checking emails or whatever the heck i was doing and the little one, who is like four and a half, comes up with this little, it was almost like a makeup bag, this pink glitter makeup bag. And she opens it up and she goes, Grandma, put it in here. And I was like, oh. what? I, I didn't have a clue what she's talking about. She's like, your phone, put it in here. We're putting on a show. She want, yeah. I mean, she knew that I wasn't paying full attention. Yeah. And that just broke my heart. Um, and yet I was thankful that she did that because it made me more aware. And I think all of us as friends, parents, grandparents, um, need to be more conscious of that because, you know, we are, we are living in isolation a lot more than we think of. And we are self-imposing some of that stuff, making people feel left out or not fully, um, attended to. And that was, like, like I said, coming from a four and a half year old, that's something we had done in our house. I, you know, I've heard stories of people for dinner, here's the bowl, everybody puts their thing in, or, you know, you walk in, this is family time. And, it, and there is a huge difference when you do that. Absolutely. There's a huge difference. I mean, these conversations happen and there's laughter and, I, it, and it sounds really silly, but I think you'll be shocked. Yeah. You know, know, and what they say is when it comes to addiction, the opposite of addiction is not just cold turkey stopping. It's actually creating connections, right? And so we're more connected than ever before in a disconnected world, if that makes sense. Like we're plugged in, right? We're always plugged into something. We're connected to something. But yet we've lost connection with our family. We've lost connection with our purpose. We've lost connection with the impact that we can make from real, you know, one-on-one conversations and it's leading to more and more social seclusion and the FOMO too, the fear of missing out where we're constantly wondering what's going on on social media instead of being present in the moment. And I think this is such a beautiful example that you just shared with us of how, you know, when we are the role model for our families. So we know this information and then we have, you know, one of two choices. You know, one is to do nothing and keep going as we are and continue to role model the behavior of allowing the device to control our time or we can choose to be the role model for our family, for the 
people above us, for the people below us in our families and saying, listen, I'm choosing to be present. I'm choosing to make these decisions to have a healthier relationship with technology to then model that behavior for everybody else involved. And when we create that as the normal within our family, that shifts the conversation from disconnection to true connection and supporting one another, recognizing that it's a new world that we live in. And if we're not careful, it can just take us by surprise. And suddenly all our time is dedicated to our devices instead of that personal time, you know, for growth, for reflection, for family, for creativity, for being present in the moment and truly enjoying those life experiences. Well, I, I can't agree with you more. And, you know, when you're dealing with dementia, I mean, one of the things people talk about all the time is living in the moment. Yeah. So, and one of the, the stories that I, I tell people that I learned from dementia um, through my mom's journey is that I think we only remember three things in life, the tears, the fears, and the joy. And the mm -hmm. tears are wrapped in all the things that we feel we've lost and, you know, the grief that we have. And it's really easy to get sucked down the drain hole in that. But for me, what I realized too was that you can't have great loss without great love first. And that in itself is a gift. And so that always helped pull me up. And the fears are all the things we're swirling about, about what could happen. And we're not in control and we want to control it. And then stepping back and realizing how many things I worry about that never happen. And what a waste of time that can be. And not that you don't want a plan B, um, but dementia to me has taught me to be more spontaneous and take some of those detours that life throws you. And some of those detours are really blessings. I mean, places that you never would have visited without that detour. So, you know, trying to find that joy, which is what most people want in life, if that can only be found or created in the moment. And so if we're spending too much time on, on either side, the past or the future, we're missing that opportunity. And I, I, it saddens me how fast paced we've gotten, how, you know, we feel like we have to answer things immediately. And yet we all know the world's not going to fall apart if somebody has to wait a day to hear. And yet, you know, and this goes back to, I'll use my own example with um, working in real estate. You know, we, we allowed those standards to be set because we responded. You know, and, and now we're on this like hyper response type thing. And, you know, it, people aren't necessarily thinking through some of the decisions or comments that they're making. And then there's the after effect of those things. And, you know, it just, it doesn't end. And so I think sometimes we just do have to pause and take a breath and appreciate who we're with and and realize that that's that's really the most important thing you yes. know is those is those relationships now one of the things that um you know when we were doing this digital dementia summit and just hearing those words all of a sudden i started googling and i was shocked at some of the research out there and would you mind talking about the the brain and the differences because i remember you know, how far like a, an iPad or something is supposed to be, you know, held and then people are holding them up so close and we don't know that yes. and they're, they're starting to show things and it was shocking and, and no one notably knows that the end impact, but it was, I mean, we need to be aware of this stuff. 
Yeah, and what's so interesting too, Laurie, is all the research studies are brand new. We're talking from 2017, 2018, 2019, and because that's how new this problem is. So the most alarming for me is 2019, the National Institute of Health saying, listen, we're seeing brain shrinkage of children who are using devices for more than seven hours per day, whereas the average is using a device for 7.5. So we're talking the majority of children are predisposed to having brain shrinking if they continue down that path of using a device for more than seven hours per day. We're also seeing from the research that even five minutes of using a cell phone is associated with short-term memory loss. And one of the reasons is because the amount of radiation coming off from the phones. So when we're holding them this close to our face, then it's this close to our brain and our brain function. Even five minutes of device use associated with poor memory recall. We're also seeing a decline in grade point averages for children who bring their smartphones to school. And of course, I mean, they're distracted, right? Whereas we, we should be focused on the classroom content. We're again, outsourcing our brains to our phones, looking for the answers on Google, the Google effect, instead of actually thinking about stuff that we know. I mean, if you think about, you know, stuff that maybe takes you a minute to think about, but you know it, like if somebody asked you a state capital, for example, we all learned that at a certain point. It may not come to us immediately, but if we think about it, we can remember it. Whereas our first impact that we would do is, oh, I'll just Google it. I can't remember that state, so I'll just Google it. Instead of actually thinking about it or looking it up in a book, right? So we have this Google effect where we're seeing a decline in grade point average for children who bring their devices to school because they're distracted and because instead of creating a memory or a thought process, they're just looking up the answers because it's so readily available on their phones. So these research studies then, and then when we look at the physical decline, you know, this from my perspective is what even got me into digital dementia research is that this posture is associated with a decline in cognition. So when we're later in life, if we have this hunch forward posture, it is in fact associated with decreased memory and cognition. So our thought processes are suffering because of the position of our body. And then if we look at um, abnormal gait patterns, so what is gait? Gait is walking. It's our posture in motion. So if we're looking down with our hunch forward posture and we're not moving our arms enough with a nice cross patterning, that's associated with non-Alzheimer's specific dementia. So what happens when I'm walking with my device? I'm hunched over and I'm not moving my arms because I'm looking at my smartphone. So all of these factors together being sedentary. So that's another thing too, is we have to recognize the opportunity cost of being on our devices. When we're exercising, we're actually engaging the part of our brain um, called the hippocampus, which is for memory, right? And so research has shown that when you engage in regular activity, exercise activity, physical activity, then it strengthens the neural connections within your hippocampus. So when we're seated, when we're not moving, we're not reinforcing neural connections of the hippocampus, we're outsourcing our thought processes to our devices, and then we have this forward hunched over posture, which is associated with non-Alzheimer's dementia, as well as with poor cognition. So when we, compare, when we put all of these factors together, it's really frightening that the new normal is being hunched over our devices for many, many, many hours per day. And so we have to step up and take a stand against digital dementia on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of role modeling better behaviors in the digital age for our families. Again, we don't have to get rid of devices. I'm not gonna throw away my computer after today's conversation, but what I'm gonna be sure to do is to integrate some lifestyle habits that we'll talk about in just a moment that can help offset the, digital, the impact of the digital age leading to digital dementia.
Well, and you're right. We can't get rid of everything because this is just how we how we communicate. But we do have to integrate some some different lifestyle patterns. I mean, for me, you know, when you had said the kids are seven and a half hours, and I think adults is probably way worse than that. Yeah. And especially after somebody graduates from, you know, if it's high school or college and, you know, if they've got a computer job, they're on that eight hours during the day plus yeah. afterwards. And so are there studies on adults or is it mostly focused on children at this point? Yep. We've also seen with adults on average more than five hours per day. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting about the adults, um, the research that we've seen is that with self-reported how much time that we're on devices, on average, we self-report 50% less. Meaning that if you asked me, how long were you on on, on your device today? My response would be three hours. But then if we were to actually look at it objectively, it was more like six hours. So we go into these tech trances where we don't even realize how much time is passing. And we've been on our devices for so much longer than we thought. And so self-reported, we're 50% less than what we were actually spending on our devices. So I'm very grateful. One of the you know, recent updates with the iPhone is that it actually measures your smartphone device, which is a great objective measure. So then we could say, okay, I'm higher than I was last week. I need to make sure that I'm getting this under control. Because if we just leave it to ourselves, we tend to underestimate how much time we're spending on our devices. Yeah. Plus it breaks down kind of where, you know, where you're on emails, yes. where you're playing a game, watching a video um so when i saw that i was i was kind of shocked i was like oh my gosh i mean i i really was and yet yet it's helpful because it's something that we don't think about you know at all the other thing is you know with our devices too the the 4g versus 5g and and all of those factors that are coming up i i you know, after, again, I got involved with this, I started doing a little more research and I was shocked at how many countries won't do the 5G. I know. But yet here we are. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, in America, for, for sure, we're so wrapped up in having a fast society. Like you mentioned before, everything is just picked up the pace. We expect everything five minutes ago. And so we're actually like putting our health on the line to have faster internet. I mean, it took us, you know, years and years to evolve into human beings who have this brain size and this ability to function on two feet and be so dynamically capable within our environments. And by now the environmental standards that we live, you know, the food that we eat is a huge factor, which we don't even have time to go into that today, but that's a huge factor, the food that we eat. And then the environment that we are literally bathing ourselves in with these EMFs is having a... um, EMF being electromagnetic frequency is it has a tremendous impact on our ability of staying focused and our ability of you know being being able to concentrate within our environment. I mean, more and more people are just fatigued. They have brain fog, and we're just attached to these devices, which is creating these. So one of the things too with devices, Lori, is that it it's emitting blue light. So blue light in its natural state state is beautiful. Blue light is what we have outside on a nice sunny day. So in its natural state, it keeps us alert and awake. We love blue light for that purpose. However, but we also notice that at night it gets dark so that we start to have natural melatonin production so that we can start to go into a restful state. What happens when we can control all the blue light coming from our devices is that we're using our devices when it's nighttime outside. So whereas normally it would be dark in our environment, 
we're now blasting ourselves with artificial blue light, which is stimulatory. And so we're seeing more and more people with sleep problems and insomnia because they're exposed to blue light late in the evening, whereas we should have it darker in our world. And so we're now seeing people that are depleted of melatonin, which is disrupting their sleep-wake cycles. So they're people staying up late, and then they feel exhausted and fatigued all the next day. And that decreases their productivity level, has an impact on their overall health. And this is one example of something that we can completely prevent by limiting our device use. And then it shows up in so many different aspects of our life, because if you're more rested, you can perform at a higher level. Maybe that leads you to a raise in your company. Maybe that leads to better connections with your family. Maybe you're less, you know, you're, you don't snap to your family. You have better connections with them, right? All of this is because we got better sleep. Well, we have to recognize what's preventing us from getting good sleep, which in many cases could be the overstimulation from devices. So the, the impact is just impacting every aspect of our life when we look at it. Yeah, here in, in Minnesota, a lot of the cities are now, you know, going to like the 5G and no one, no one has an option to say yes right. or no. And so we have a lot more towers and pinging. And, and one of the things that I saw was a study showing and it's, again, something we don't think about. We've got our phone and we're in a train station or an elevator and it's, you know, metal or cement and the phone is pinging out crazy trying to make a connection, which increases, you know, the amount of, of um, the G's pushed out, you know, around us. And, you know, I was wearing the little thing around the neck, you know, and I turn that thing off unless I'm actually on the phone and I turn it on mm -hmm. when it's off of my neck now. And it yeah. might sound a little paranoid, but it's just like, we don't really know the outcomes of, yes. of the effects of a lot of these things. Now you had talked about some lifestyle changes. Can you give us some ideas? Yeah. You know, really it's small shifts that can make a tremendous difference. So one of the things I love sharing with patients is, you know, we'll go through three tips today. Number one is digital detox doses. So again, you don't have to throw away your device after our conversation today, but what I want you to walk away with is the information and the feeling empowered to start having a healthier relationship with technology. So instead of just completely going cold turkey off devices, do digital detox doses with your family. So that's three one-hour intervals throughout the day where the whole family is tech-free. So for example, a digital detox dose could be the first hour when you wake up in the morning, an hour around the dinner table as a family, and the last hour before falling asleep at night. Why are these the best three hours to do digital detox doses? Because when you wake up, you want to be in control of your day. The last thing you want to do is roll over, grab your device, you're already blasting yourself with artificial stimulation, and now you're checking your email, you're checking your social media feeds, you're checking in at work before you've even gotten out of bed. And so now we're starting our day from like fight or flight mode. We're in sympathetic overdrive before we've even gotten out of bed because we're already thinking about the millions of things that we missed last night while we were sleeping, and now what we need to do today to already get caught up for the day. And if we see a negative comment, that starts our day from a completely negative perspective, right? Whereas the opportunity cost of if we don't use our device for the first hour of the day, what we can do instead is go outside and take a walk in nature. We can reflect on our goals. We can think about how to be productive for the day. We can have a cup of coffee with our loved ones and truly connect before starting our day at work. And then around the dinner table, you know, a really interesting study came out that showed that children who have higher GPAs 
one thing that they have in common is that they have time at the dinner table as a family. So, you know, that's an hour less of studying, but it's an hour of connection to reflect with your family and feel supported and feel cared about and a time to talk about your goals and what's going on in your life. And so by taking that one hour every night around the dinner table, that should really be sacred for families. So while eating dinner, you know, eating healthy choices, of course, but turning off the TV, leaving the devices in one area of the house where, which you mentioned, you know, putting them in a certain basket or putting them by the front door so that we're not tempted every time we get a notification. And then the last hour before going to bed at night. So we talked about the, the impact of blue light stimulation. So if we're completely impacted by blue light right before trying to go to sleep, it's going to keep us awake. That's where you're going to start feeling like you're tossing and turning. And when you're tossing and turning because you can't fall asleep, what do you naturally do? You reach over and grab your device and see what you're missing out on, right? While laying there awake. So be sure to be in control of your day by initiating those digital detox doses. So that's number one. Number two is to take, uh, take posture breaks. So posture breaks, because we're constantly being pressed down by gravity, and when we look at our devices, again, we go in this tech-neck posture. So if we want to do it, if we want to reverse this, we need to go into extension instead of being in flexion. So a posture break looks just like this, and we can do it together right now, is you bring your arms out to the side, and you're going to press your chest forward and drop your head back. And just hold this position for 30 seconds and take nice deep breaths. This is called a posture break. And what's going to happen is after you're done with the posture break, you're going to feel more stretched out. So these muscles that get so tight when we're flexed forward or looking at our device in this position, then get stretched out. So you're going to feel like you're sitting up straighter. The other thing that you're going to feel is that you feel more focused when you go back to work. The reason you feel more focused is because the same part of your brain that controls your posture also controls your focus. And so after doing a 30-second posture break, you go back to your work, whether it's on the device or not, and you feel more focused and ready for that work. So you have a higher level of alertness. So when it comes to a posture break, we want to do 30 seconds for every hour that we're on our devices, okay? All of us have time for 30 seconds. And if we don't think that we don't have the time, it's because we're wasting our time on social media, right? We can put down Instagram for 30 seconds to take a posture break. So step number one is digital detox doses. Step number two is taking posture breaks. And then step number three is getting outside in nature, nurturing our bodies in nature, getting back to our more natural positions. And when we do this, when we're on devices, we're overstimulating the left part of our brain. Our left part of our brain is more analytical, whereas the right part of our brain is for being creative. And so we need to have more visionary, more creative work. And so when we get outside in nature and we take a nice nature walk, we go into a parasympathetic state, which is less stress. It's the rest and digest feeling. And we're also stimulating that right brain. So if we're just seated on our device all day in tech neck posture, we're just overstimulating the left part of our brain and we're less creative. So we can't remember things. We can't see the whole big picture. Whereas when we get outside in nature, we take a nice nature walk, then we're parasympathetic, so we're less stressed out, as well as we're tapping into our right brain for better creativity. I have a joke that I can solve any problem on the morning run. The reason being is because when I'm at my computer, I can't see past the problem, right? It's like, it's right here. Whereas when I get outside, I'm in nature, I'm exercising my body, everything becomes clear. I can now find a creative solution to whatever obstacle that I'm suffering from in my life at that moment. And so we need to take ourselves away from our devices to see the whole big picture. So posture breaks for 30 seconds every hour to run their devices, 
three one-hour intervals for digital detox doses with the whole family, and then getting outside in nature. Best case scenario is we're doing exercise, but we're stimulating that hippocampus, and then we're activating the right brain for more creativity. Small shifts that are going to make a huge impact in your cognition and your quality of life to prevent digital dementia from impacting you and your family. Oh, those are great tips. Now, you also were nice enough to give away seven steps to safeguard your brain in um, the digital age. And so people can download that as well. And I, I think that that's just fantastic. I, I know my audience is going to be um, just walking around with their eyes open a little bit more regarding this. It's, it's not something that's talked about in you know, after you introduced it to me, I was telling everybody, I'm like, have you heard of this? I have never heard of this. And, yeah. you know, everyone's like, gosh, we really do need to pay more attention to this. This is really, yes. really important for everybody at every age. And so I can't thank you enough um, for the work that you're doing and raising awareness on this. Um, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Now, people can get a hold of you by going to the American postureinstitute.com and you're also on Facebook again the American Posture um, Institute and you're on Instagram as Dr. Krista Burns and then you've got this fabulous TED talk too that's really interesting and I've got that posted for people to be able to uh, see on the uh, on the blog post and um, on the radio show page as well check check that out I think you'll be really surprised um, and and much better informed. And please share this information with others because this is this is the world we live in and we need to know, we need to understand more about it. And I think we also really need to support these studies that are going on so that we can that we can find out more as well. So again, thank you so much. Was there anything that we missed that that you wanted to um, state that I that that I didn't ask you? You know, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity because I do feel that this will be the worst epidemic of our time. Like we have no idea how bad this can be in future generations. So I'm so glad that we had the opportunity of having a conversation today. And like you mentioned, for everybody who's listening in, that's all I ask is that you have your eyes more open to this. And if you start seeing this, be sure to grab those free resources so you can make small shifts in your life. Grab those seven steps to safeguard your brain now so that you can be the role model to your family because we really can reduce the glow of screens and bring back that beautiful glow of health for you and your family. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. I love the work you're doing. Well, thank you. So in wrapping up, I just want to say thank you again to everybody for listening and watching the show, whichever mode you chose. Um, please share, like, and, and start having a conversation about digital dementia. I do think it's something that we do need to learn more about and um, it makes to me it just makes a ton of sense that this is a, a topic that um, we can't let slip by us so you can find more information on alzheimerspeaks.com you can find out about our projects and initiatives that we have going on as well as if you're looking for a um, speaker or trainer or consultant i'd be glad to speak with you on that and again I'm always looking for guests. Maybe you can be the next one. Have a great week, everyone. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. 
We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.